goes to great lengths to rescue lost and hurting people. That's what the story is all about. The story of the Bible. God's great love affair with humanity. Glad you're here today. This has been a great worship service so far. I'm glad that you've joined us. I hope this is a great experience for you. I hope you're encouraged. We're in chapter 9 of the story, The Faith of a Foreign Woman. I don't know if you've seen the video, but there's several on YouTube showing a young, young man. He's, he's getting ready to open a present his mom has given him. And obviously, he expects a certain gift to be in there. And uh, his mom, you know, hands it to him with great anticipation. The boy rips open the, 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 the wrapping paper. And on the, on the picture on the box is that of a pottery wheel. And obviously his facial expression reveals this was not what he expected. All of us have probably had one of those moments where uh, there's an event in our life that isn't what we expected. When uh, excitement turns to disappointment because... Maybe our financial planner ripped us off, or maybe a friend disappointed us. Maybe a spouse let us down in a terrible way. Maybe there's some type of event in your life where uh, it just comes out of the blue. You didn't expect this to happen, and uh, this just begins to well up within you, this great disappointment, sadness, terror, maybe fear of all kinds. Uh, we expect this, but get that, and because of that event, we're left feeling rather hopeless at times. This is, uh, this is what the story of Ruth is. It begins this way. It's one of those moments where it isn't what they expected in their family. Now, the book of Ruth, the context of the book of Ruth, is set during the time of Gideon, one of the judges. And so, uh, if you know this period of history, if you were here last week or you've read the book of Judges, you know that it's a very dark period in Israel's history. But there's this book of Ruth that's encapsulated in that same time period. And it's, a, it's really a gem of a story. It's one of our favorite stories. If you know the Old Testament, it's probably one of your favorite stories to read about. And so Ruth takes place at a very dark time. And Naomi, her mother, uh, I mean her mother-in-law, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, uh, they have this very unexpected thing happen to them. And we read about this in Judges chapter, I mean Ruth chapter 1. In the days of the ju- when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The name's man was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of their two sons was Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So our story begins with a famine. How is that possible? Isn't Canaan land the land flowing with milk and honey? And so there's this great famine that comes across the land. And these people actually live in Bethlehem. Its older name is Ephrata. And so uh, in this land, that this, this Bethlehem, which the word means the house of bread, there's no bread. And so uh, there's this 
there's this blessing that's been removed from them. And how could this be? Well, if you know a little bit of this previous story, that God promised them that he would bless them as long as they didn't bow down to other false gods. Israel did that. The consequences that flowed out were this, a time of famine. And so uh, Elimelech, whose name means my God is my king, and Naomi, whose name means pleasantness, and their sons, Malon, whose name means wimpy, and it does. I mean, who do, who names does it their kid? Uh, but uh, they 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 have a they have to make a, a really difficult decision, and that's leave their home, their land, everything that they know, and the people that they know, and go to Moab. Now let's personalize this for a moment. Let's say we have a window in to a family night in some home, and at dinner time family seated around the table and it's kind of a quiet night dad's not talking much kids go to bed dad sits down to watch 10 o'clock news wife sits down beside him and she begins to see him tearing up and she says honey what's wrong and he says i lost my job today not just me but everybody at the plant they're closing us down in fact the whole company's filing chapter 13 and so they begin to talk about uh, the changes they have to make and he says to her, his wife he says the only way we're going to survive this is we have to move. And so, so now a whole new set of questions begin to flow. What they used to talk about was where they were going to eat out on Friday night. And now they're talking about how they're going to eat the rest of the week. Like really challenging decision to leave everything that you know, to sell the family farm, and to go to a land that's distant, that you don't know the language, and they're even hostile to you. If you remember... Moab was an enemy of Israel for 18 years. They killed one another, but the situation is so desperate, they're so hungry, that they're willing to take the risk and go to a foreign land to survive. Now, what Naomi's going to find out is that it's going to go from bad to worse. And so we read in Ruth chapter 1, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. And they had lived there about ten years when Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So here they are. Here's Naomi with these two daughter-in-laws. You know, we don't know how, how their relationship is at that moment. But they're all devastated. Their husbands have died. Naomi's sons have died. And so what's very dangerous about this period in history is that if you were a widow, you were subject to great, uh, great being a victim of, of anyone's uh, uh, evil. And it was hard to defend yourself in those days and times. And so she's having this nightmare experience. She's, she's looking at her life and she's like, this isn't what I expected. This is one of these moments where everything I know has been removed from me. But God sends a ray of hope, and he lets them know, lets Naomi know, that there's bread back in the house of bread, bread back in Bethlehem. So we read, when she had heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food to them, Naomi and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With the two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And so Naomi heads back. Her daughter-in-laws are in tow. She's trying to convince them to go back to their homeland, which is Moab, to stay there, to not follow her. 
uh, Orpha, she, she decides to do that. She's, she honors her mother-in-law's request, but not Ruth. Ruth is determined to stay with Naomi. And what follows is her words to her mother-in-law are some of the most loving words that we read in all the Old Testament, often read at marriage ceremonies. We hear this, but Ruth replied, don't, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and, you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, as I said before, this, this scripture is often read at weddings. And oftentimes, it's the bride saying this to her husband, or soon-to-be husband. Now, if we were going to stay in context with the Scripture, we would have at the wedding ceremony, the bride-to-be turn to her mother-in-law and say, where you go, I will go, because that's the context of this. Nevertheless, uh, it is a really powerful statement of belonging to someone, of loving someone, no matter what happens in their lives and a lot has happened in these people's lives now here's what's interesting this ought to be reminding you of another experience that you've already read about if you've been in this story uh, along the way uh, abraham abraham was a guy who 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 left his family to go to a land he didn't know because god promised blessing there and so ruth is kind of following in the footsteps of Abraham. And we should be keying in on these repeating circumstances because God is trying to convince us of bigger truths. So the journey continues in this story. So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought me misfortune, has brought misfortune upon me. And so she, she's blaming this on God. She's blaming God for the circumstances. She didn't leave full. They left hungry, and bad things happened to them. And it's obvious that the consequences of, of this tragedy, this hunger, this famine, these great travels, the death of her husband have changed her outward appearance. The women of the town say, can this be Naomi? They don't even recognize her. And she changes her name to reflect the, the, the anguish and the, and the bitterness within her. And so um, she's not being very honest because God is still there even though she doesn't know He's there. And, and, and she doesn't see the end of the story. All she sees is a pottery wheel, right? Uh, this isn't what she expected. And, and so she's angry, rightfully so. A lot of hardships has happened in her life, but, but, but this isn't the end of the story. She's going to receive help because she's returned back to the land where help was first given, her home in Bethlehem. You and I are part of the family of God. We're part of the church. And that's a huge blessing because have you ever noticed God tends to work through people? It, when bad things happen to us, if we're not connected with the local church at Fifth and Ordinary, wherever a person might live, 
we are excluding ourselves from one of the main channels, one of the main ways that God brings blessing to people through in times of suffering. Naomi's returning back to where God's people are, and she's going to be blessed. And so one of the truths here, it's a small truth, but, but what I witness almost every week is a story of some kind about a person telling me because uh, you know, they, they want to share what blessing God has brought in their life. They've been praying for this, and, and, and this bad thing had happened, or this big question mark was in front of them, and God brought resolve. And He brought resolve through circumstances changing or a person in the church. You and I are a blessing to others and are blessed when we're part of the Lord's family. This is where God is working through. So no matter how dysfunctional it gets, no matter how smelly the person beside you is, keep coming back. Don't give up. And and be part of the local church here in, in this town or any place that you might live. Always belong to the Lord's church because God brings salvation through the Lord's church. He brings blessing through the Lord's church. He provides ministry through the Lord's church. The church is so very important. And now as we move on in this story, this great loss is going to turn to a blessing she never saw coming, Naomi or Ruth. Uh, And it's going to come because of a choice they make. Now, when loss comes into our life, we have to define how we're going to respond to it. Let me say it this way. You You can choose to be defined by loss, or you can choose to be defined by how you respond to loss. In the book by Jerry Sitzer, A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss, he describes his own story. Jerry was a minister. He was a sought-after speaker. He was invited to do a retreat on an Indian reservation. Uh, He took his whole family there. Uh, After the the event uh, concluded, they were returning back home. They were in two separate vehicles, his wife, his mother, and his daughter in one vehicle, he in the other car. As they're headed home, a drunk driver crosses the lane in front of his wife's car. They hit head on. His wife dies. His, his daughter dies and his mother dies. And he witnessed it all happen. Actually, the, the drunk driver survived, but that drunk driver's wife died as well. She was pregnant with a child. Such loss and suffering. I mean, how does a person respond to that? Do, are they going, is he going to be defined? Would Naomi be defined? Would Ruth be defined by loss? Or would they be defined by how they respond to the loss? The experience of loss, he says in this book, does not need to be the defining part of our story. The defining moment can be the response to the loss. And so you and I have to recognize that we have a choice when bad things happen to us. We can sit in our sorrow and say, I'm divorced, I'm a widow, or I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I have cancer. Or we can say, the Lord is carrying me through this, and this isn't the end of my story, and I'm trusting in the Lord. So, so what he's saying is everyone has to make a choice when bad things enter their world, how they're going to respond to this. Now, Naomi obviously is going to be defined by the, her loss. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasantness. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. And so she's, she's, she's choosing to be defined by her loss. But again, God is going to quietly enter her story through a man named Boaz, whose name means strength comes swiftly. So Boaz is a landowner. 
and apparently he has some means, maybe not a lot, but some means, and it's a time of gleaning when they return back, it's a time of harvest when they return back, and, uh, and, they, and Naomi is, uh, is, sends out Ruth to go work in Boaz's field. Why? Well, Boaz was a distant relative of Naomi. And so uh, Ruth is sent out by Naomi to go harvest in his field because there was a law in God's, God's laws of, uh, of allowing those who didn't have food to come and glean in fields uh, after the first cutting, after the first harvest. So, so when, the, when the harvesters would go through, if something fell to the ground, if grain fell to the ground, they were not allowed to pick it up. They were not allowed to uh, uh, glean in the corners of the fields. Those who were poor and in need, this was God's welfare system, if you will, they were to come and, and have the second gleaning as their own. And so this was what God had provided in his law. Boaz, a man of honest character and justice, He's following God's law, and he allows these, these poor people, these women, uh, or whoever, to come and glean afterwards. And he notices this woman, Ruth, gleaning in his field. And so uh, this, is a, this is a really important moment that she is allowed to be there because maybe her dress or maybe her, her outward appearance uh, uh, noted to everyone that she was not an Israelite. She was a Moabitess. So she stands in, in a position where she could be easily taken advantage of. And so um, it's important to recognize that Boaz is going to step in and protect her. And so uh, here's what we read. Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you because they probably would have. And after you are thirsty, go, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May, may you be richly re rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So, so this is a key moment. Boaz is honoring the law of helping those who are poor, Naomi takes a great risk in sending Ruth out there, but God blesses their courage. And, and Ruth comes home to tell Naomi everything that's taken place, how she's been blessed. She comes home with grain, and she shares this story. And Naomi's mind begins to work because there's another law about sustaining the, the, life, or, or the name of a person who's passed away called the kinsman redeemer. And so uh, this is what Boaz is going to become. So Naomi begins to think about the kindness of Boaz. He's a distant relative, and there may be a way for them to have a, a male offspring by Ruth marrying Boaz. So she says, Ruth, here's what I want you to do. Naomi tells Ruth, I want you to take a bath because you stink. You've been working in the fields all day, right? I want you to put on your best clothes, which aren't a lot because they're poor. They're just travel from a distant land. And I want you to take some perfume. So I don't know what that was, but they throw some perfume on. And she says, 
I want you to go see Boaz this evening where, where the harvest has been, you know, gathered. And I want you to lay at his feet. And so this is a, a really fascinating part. Uh, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my guardian redeemer of our family. I don't know about you, but this happens to me all the time. I wake up in the middle of the night, and my wife is laying against my feet, keeping them warm. And I say, who are you? And she says, I'm your wife, Marie. I, you're my kinsman redeemer. No, it doesn't have it at all. Actually, it's a fight for the blankets in my house, right? It's like she rolls, and then I roll, and then we fight. Uh, no, I'm just joking. But uh, it's this guardian redeemer. So, so it was so important in that period of, hi- of, of Israel's history that they maintained the land that was given to them during the time of Joshua because this is how their family name remained. Your name was tied to your land. If you lost your land, you lost your name because what, what would end up happening is if you didn't have land to eat from, you would actually become a servant or a slave to someone else. And so uh, to prevent this, God had involved, uh, created this kinsman redeemer, which uh, what that means is the next closest relative could father a child of the deceased woman uh, so that they would have a male uh, to to, to take over the, the inheritance of the land and their name would not be lost and therefore they would not become servants or slaves to those around them. Now, uh, this is a big step. For Boaz to take if he says yes. If, she, if he says yes to Ruth's request. Because here's what he has to do. He has to come up with enough money to buy the land. And then he has to father a child which will never be his. It will be uh, Naomi's essentially offspring to keep that family name. And, and, and so that's going to take some money too and some time to raise up this child. And so it was a lot for him to, to, to honor this request to be the Ruth's kinsman redeemer, essentially Naomi, the whole family's kinsman redeemer. But he says yes. He goes to the, uh, to, the, to the gates of Bethlehem where all the business was done. And so all the elders are sitting there and he, he shows up and he says, I'm, I, I'd like to be the kinsman redeemer of Naomi's family, but there's one closer to her than I, a closer relative relationship. That man says, there's no way I'm getting involved in that. I can't afford that. And, and, and so uh, th- there's a deal made at the town gates that uh, allows Boaz to pursue becoming the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. Now, this story goes on to say that Boaz took Ruth, became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and his father, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. No longer is Naomi's name Arah, but now it's back to pleasantness, from bitterness to pleasantness. And so she had thought at one time in her life, you know, she opened up the box and it was a pottery wheel. She thought, my life's over. This isn't what I expected, but it wasn't over because God wasn't finished with her story. Now, 
uh, Obed. His name means worker, which is an appropriate name because he's got his work cut out for him. He's, he's you know, 16 years, he's going to be out in the field managing it, all of it, right? And so, but, but isn't it interesting? There's no way that we, they could have known that their offspring, Obed, would be in the line of the Messiah, that, uh, that his grandson would be King David, the second king of Israel, that from David's house would come the line of Jesus, would come Jesus, would fall from there. And here's the interesting thing about Boaz. Do you know who his grandmother was? She was a prostitute in Jericho. Her name was Rahab. There, God is at work. And, and so many times we're judging our circumstances by the immediate. Or we're allowing ourselves to be defined by the immediate. When God is working through bad situations and good situations, not only to bring about His will, but a blessing for us, we must never think that it's just about ourselves. Somehow we have to break free from thinking that the universe is rotating around us and understand that God is in control. Now, Boaz was a man of justice. And this is what one thing I appreciate about this man. He did the right thing when much of Israel was doing the wrong thing. He was protecting a woman who was subject to all types of abuse. This proverb, Proverbs 29.7, and there are many like this one. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Boaz cared for the poor, for those who were destitute. And so you and I have a responsibility as being followers of Jesus to help those who are in need. And there's all types of injustices that exist in our county. This past week, I attended a seminar hosted by Haven. They're a, an advocacy group in Danville that help people who suffer sexual abuse, sex trafficking, uh, involving elder abuse. This is a big problem in rural areas where there's a, a big aging population and they're often taken advantage of by different types of providers or different types of family members. And so uh, those who experience domestic abuse, those who uh, need help transitioning from a, from a hostile environment to a place of safety, this is what this agency does. And so uh, this is the phone number. If you know someone or you are someone who's experiencing some type of physical, emotional, verbal abuse at home, there's help. And oftentimes, one of the first things people do if they're connected with a church is they say something to a, a church leader. And so uh, it's important that if you know someone or you are someone, that you're, you're safe here, you can talk to us here, you can talk to an elder, you can talk to a church leader, and you can get help, and we will help you in your transition. There are agencies out there that do this. Why do I mention this? Statistics show in our county that one out of three high school students who are dating report physical or sexual violence in that relationship. There are, between 16 and 20 is a highly abused group of mostly women. Sometimes men, but mostly women. Uh, there are a lot of uh, people that when they first reveal their problem to a church leader, they get some kind of, because of the violence in their home or because they feel unsafe because of, uh, of threats. And the church leader will say, well, you made a commitment before the Lord. You've got to stay in that home. Anybody ever tells you that? Tell them they need to read the Bible. And that's not what the Bible says. God never called us 
to an abusive relationship. That's not love. That's not marriage. Get out and stay out and end it if necessary. God is a divorced God. That's what the Bible says. God divorced Israel because of their abuse to him, because they kept bowing down to idols. And so I'm not, I'm not advocating for divorce, but I am advocating for the end of abuse. And one of the main ways you do that is you put a big, strong boundary between the abuser and the abuse person being abused. And so this is what we're talking about. But we have a responsibility to help those who are, being, who are suffering injustices and those who are poor. And, and if you're part of this family, you are already doing that. Baby bottle boomerang, right? Uh, what, what are we doing there? We're trying to help young moms, young dads parent their child. Uh, they may not have the, the, they may not have been coaches, you know, they may, unexpected pregnancy, whatever. Your gifts help support that ministry. Uh, the joy box, right? The joy box. Yeah, so just this week, there was a, a person that needed to carry their child to some medical treatments, and the monies that you give through the joy box. Help sustain, help sustain this ministry of helping people who have immediate needs. I mean, so these might look small to you, but you know when you're in a time of need, those types of gifts, those types of attentions are, are life-saving, are just are so important. And so what I'm saying is that, 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 that you and I are involved in helping people who are often experiencing injustices. And my... My plea with you is that if God is calling you to minister to a group of people that you have connection with, that you know they need help, then ask God to lead you in that. Maybe you want to share that idea with us and, and leaders here at Cornerstone because we want to be part of what Proverbs is talking about, the righteous caring for the poor. And, and it's important that we understand that. Now, Boaz, as we already know, Boaz redeems this family, he redeems the Limelech's family and, uh, and Ruth. And so Boaz, he, he's foreshadowing the work of Jesus Christ, the ultimate redeemer, right? Boaz had the will to redeem, Boaz had the right to redeem, and Boaz had the power to redeem. And that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus redeems us from any and every brokenness we bring to him. He has the will because he came to earth, right? Put God put on flesh and bone. And he has the right because he's God's son. And he has the power. Look at the, look at the resurrection, right? So he's able to do that. Now, Ruth, Ruth foreshadows the church, us. She loves him. She loves Boaz. We love the Lord. She seeks to take his name. When we're baptized into Christ, we set aside our family name. and We pick up the name Christ. And she depends on his protection and provision. And that's what we do as well. And so God's salvation is for all people. In our lower story, we've talked about the lower story throughout the series. It, it may look like a pottery wheel right now. It may look broken. But God is not done. God is active and alive. So here's the message of Ruth. God is at work even when it seems hopeless. God is at work even when it seems hopeless. Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who've been, who've been called according to his purpose. God is at work even when the circumstances are completely negative. One of the things I love about Ruth, God's not mentioned 
in Ruth. Have you noticed? The word redeem is mentioned 20 times. But God's name is not mentioned. But yet God is at work, quietly, passively, bringing rescue to someone who's in a, in a, in a desperate moment. God spoke audibly to Abraham and Moses, a burning bush. Joseph had dreams. Noah built an ark. Jonah had a big fish and heard God's words speak, spoken right to him. Samson had supernatural strength. But if you read through Ruth, there's not any miraculous thing taking place. It's just one man of justice following God's law to help someone who's impoverished. There doesn't seem to be any dramatic answers to prayer. There's no splitting of the Red Sea. There's no mouths of lions being closed by the hand of God. It's just a family, one family, that needed a lot of help and received it through one man, a very ordinary farmer named Boaz. God is at work through the most ordinary circumstances. And so you have to see the power of God working here very quietly, very gradually, never giving up on those who are in desperate need, forgotten about by many of their own kinsmen. So you have to give God a chance. If you trust God, give Him the opportunity to work your story. It doesn't have to be about your loss. It, can, it doesn't have to be about your disappointment. It can be about redemption. You don't have to be defined by what you've lost or what's happened to you. You can choose to be defined by God redeeming you. No one else could have predicted, predicted that these two widows would have raised, been part of, part of the line of the Messiah, or, or Boaz for that matter. And so this is one of those moments where they didn't expect this, and they couldn't even see it before their death, but in heaven now they can see that they were part of a grand picture. So... The events of your life, probably not a famine. We live in one of the most well-fed countries in the world. But your box, whatever it might be, it's not a pottery wheel, but it might say divorce, or it might say chemo, or it might be betrayal, or it might be death, widow, widower. Remember the boy in the beginning of this message that took his present, and he tossed it across the room because that's not what he expected. His mom, in the video, his mom goes back, she picks up the box, she brings it back to her son, and she says, open it. And when he opens it up, the thing's got a brand new Xbox, it's stuffed with new controllers, stuffed with new games, and she says, I just couldn't put it all in one box, so I just got a bigger box. So, oftentimes... We look at just the moment, like we're just looking at the one moment. But God's, God's able to bring something beautiful out of ashes. He's able to redeem anything. So right now your box you're looking at, I don't know what it's labeled. But if it's labeled by something you never expected, bring it before the Lord. Let Him redeem it. And bring something beautiful out of something broken. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to just dig down into this. One of the most treasured stories in the Old Testament. Here's a woman who's broken by death. And here's a man who's full of justice. 
and you're able to bring about something very beautiful. And Father, I just pray that for whoever's in this room or whoever might be listening to this message that they would recognize that what they're holding right now is not the end of of their story. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.